Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Production of the Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com or go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. Either way, that's spelled S P E C U L I S T.com. On the blog and here on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about the future, and in fact, we're not afraid to give you a straight scoop about the future. And that straight, oh, straight scoop, excuse me, <laughs> is that our <laughs> that straight stoop, I guess. But but I'm going to go with the straight stoop. Is that our world is uh, not going to hell in a handbasket, and it's not going to hell by any other means, but is in fact getting better all the time. And not only that, but that we stand on the brink of an incredibly bright future, if we play our cards right, a future that most of us haven't even imagined, must let, much less dared hope for. Well, my name is Phil Bowermaster, having a little trouble articulating this evening, but uh, with me, as always, is my... Co-host, co-blogger, and co-futurist, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. Uh, hey, man, you're getting better all the time, though. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm super fantastic in any case. So. I'm yeah, that's right. <laughs> man, did you get to see the Indiana Jones movie this weekend? You know, I uh, went to see that last night, as a matter of fact. Man, How I, had you? A good, I, I did, and I had a good time. Took the kids, and uh, even the youngest was, you know, on the edge of his seat, you know. We had a we, we had a real good time. That was that was fun. Old Indy, you know, got it together for one one good adventure here. At the, probably his last one, I would imagine. I, I would have thought the the previous one would have been the last one. I'm I'm going to say this is this is definitely the the end. I don't think they're going to make any more Indiana Jones movies. I, I I think they finished. Yeah, but I mean, but this one was enjoyable. I, I assume you enjoyed it as well. I mean, I, I don't want to give you away know, too I, much about the plot or anything, but it was. I, 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 I liked know. about the. I liked about the first hour, and it kind of lost me. We got into the jungle, and I was just like, you know, I think Spielberg's kind of phoning it in here just a little bit. I, 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 I don't know if it's if it's really a problem with the movie, or if it's a uh, if it's what Tobias Buckel was telling us what uh, was advising me about the reviewing the Planet of the Apes movies. He 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 gave those great words of wisdom. You can't go home again, and I think. Yeah. Uh, I think there might be a little of that uh, with, with Indiana Jones. It could be just that the uh, expectations get so, set so high, and then you watch it and you go, well, yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know. It, uh, uh, cer- certainly enjoyed some of the topics that they that ha- they had Indy dealing with. Uh, without without spoiling anything at all, I will say that, uh, uh, as, as as one critic put it, as Spielberg was um, reaching out to other portions of his canon uh, in in uh, in telling the, this particular story. I think I think you can say that without. Yeah, I I, too much away. That's right, I, I, and I think he was doing exactly that. But um, yeah, I think uh, there there are uh, there was evidence to me that 
there was a lot of uh, development hell going on uh, in the in the in the making of this. Uh, it, it seemed like the the there was some tonal weirdness, uh, like you know, as if it was written by different people, um, and then I think that's put, put together like observation. A, I think it and it felt like it was put together like a quilt. Uh, yep. Instead of a instead of a single tight package like Raiders was, and uh, I mean, but you know what? Um, I enjoy, I've enjoyed all the Indiana Jones movies. Raiders, of course, is probably one of the best action movies ever, and then none of equal Raiders. But it's hard to do that. I mean, you know, when you make the best action movie ever, you're you're in, any sequel is not going to be as good. But each sequel has something to say for it and uh, and and to recommend it. And I've watched all the sequels. You know, um, now and have enjoyed every one of them, and more than once uh, on on uh, Tomb and Last you know, uh, Last Crusade, and uh, oh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Temple, anyway, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. There you go. Yeah. I've I've enjoyed those uh, you know more than once, and Raiders, of course, I watch all the time. But um, it, it, it it what makes me mad as a as an Indiana Jones fan. Is that Harrison Ford basically said 19 years ago when he made Last Crusade that I'm getting too old for this <laughs> and stopped, and then like 19 years passes and then and, and then they bring us another Indiana Jones movie which was pretty good. I you know I mean it wasn't it wasn't terrible, and I'm thinking 19 years. You know if they'd have brought us one every three years or so, we could have had six more Indiana Jones movies and it would have been in that period of time that they would have covered would have included World War II. And, there you uh, go. So, anyway, it seems like a lost opportunity to have had a really cool World War II uh, Indiana Jones adventure. But, oh well. That's, that's an interesting thought. I, I have to say, I love the way they covered World War II, though. Their, their explanation of what Indy was doing during World War II, I, I found very satisfying and seemed exactly right. Yeah. Um, Indiana I, mean, I, Jones wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a movie about that. That, I, that, that would that would be pretty awesome. But, they'd have to recast it, of course, bring in somebody that could, you know, uh, play Indiana Jones at the right age, and um, and yeah, it would be a great movie, I think. And uh, yeah, it, it, in a way, it was is basically claiming for Indiana Jones the status of uh, member of the Greatest Generation, you know. Um, yes. And, uh, Reminding us that that he's a member of that generation, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I never I never thought of him as quite as heroic as when he delivers uh, a line. Um, okay, spoiler coming. So give yourself ten seconds. Here you go. I like Ike. When when Indy says that line, I, I I'm just so impressed by him. I'm thinking, man, that's that's telling him, pal. That that was uh, that, that was a good oh, yeah. one. But uh, let's uh, let's let's not dwell on the uh, Indiana Jones movie because actually I, I want to come back to it. I, I'd like us to uh, to talk about it further. I've got kind of a philosophical uh, issue perhaps with with the movie, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on it this evening because we've got uh, we've got some other topics that that, that we want to get into, and also it, w- it would definitely require spoiling the plot. So since not everyone's had a chance to see it yet, we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about my philosophical issues with. Uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the King. Maybe of we can maybe we can hit it at the end of the summer or something, and uh, and and then have a, a big spoiler-filled discussion about it or something when everybody's had a chance exactly. to watch it. Yeah. When everybody's had a chance to see it, so we're not so we're not giving too much away like I did just did with that one line. But uh, Kate Blanchett was great, I thought. By the way, just before we, uh, we yeah, she she, she she played a great heavy. Uh, I don't think that gives anything away. She you can see that in the 
the very beginning. Many right, yeah. She's uh, yeah, and if they ever make another Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, she can play Natasha. There's no, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> She's all over it, man. <laughs> so anyhow, um, but we do have several things we want to get into. I, I didn't mention uh, up front that our our topic this evening is time travel, and we're and we're going to get into that. Uh, before that, we're going to take a detour. You need to go back in time and, and and mention that at the very beginning of the show, Phil. Oh, see, if only we could. Actually, we could edit it to 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 make that change. Um, but uh, but uh, before we get into time travel, we're going to talk a little bit of space travel. But before we talk a little bit of space travel, I just want to note, uh, and and you actually made the perfect segue for it by by mentioning that uh, that Indy was a member of the Greatest Generation. That this is in fact Memorial Day weekend, and That's right. we want to uh, make note of that and uh, express our gratitude to all those who have made that ultimate sacrifice in service of our country, um, and also uh, just those who are uh, veterans and who haven't made that sacrifice. In fact, I, uh, our our chat host is is MIA this evening, but uh, Michael Darling, I wanted to mention, which I've never mentioned on the show before, it was actually a combat veteran of the first Iraq War. And, right. Uh, so, Michael, wherever you are, thank you for your service. We appreciate it. And uh, to all those listening who are veterans or uh, active duty or uh, family of same, uh, thank you all very much. For your service. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Now we're on to uh, on to space travel. Um, big news. This is almost like real time news. This is almost like breaking news when we get to report something like this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Phoenix has landed. Uh, don't know well, this if is, this uh, is such breaking news. I'm not aware of it, uh, Phil. So you're going to have to educate me. What has happened? Okay, well, um, I'll just read a bit here. The spacecraft Phoenix landed successfully today on the icy northern plains of Mars after a triumphant voyage of 422 million miles halfway around the sun. With a 130-pound cargo of instruments and a robotic digging arm to probe for ancient water and ice and long-decayed traces of organic chemicals essential for life, the lander's three legs settled gently onto a rock-free Martian surface at precisely 4.38 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So that would have been... Uh, just what a couple hours ago, about two and a half hours ago. Um, this is a this is a huge mission. For one thing, it's nice uh, to see that we've got another successful uh, landing on Mars. We've we've had a little bit of trouble with that in the past, without getting into any of the uh, uh, gory details on that. Uh, actually, the article mentions that uh, in this era of Martian exploration, only five other spacecraft have landed successfully: two Vikings, one Pathfinder with its mini rover Sojourner. And two rovers, the famed Opportunity and the Spirit, which are still roaming the planet after uh, four years after their arrival. Now, now yeah, the Phoenix, real Energizer bunnies, aren't they? Well, um, they are. They're, they're amazing craft. Now, now Phoenix is there, and Phoenix has a very special mission. Um, it has been um, it has been sent to the poles, and I actually got an email uh, probably last night, I think, from a member of the Boulder Futures Salon who said, "Everyone be." Going to look out, be you know, uh, be thinking about the Phoenix as it makes this approach, because they were using uh, reverse thrusters. They were using a kind of approach that has not been terribly successful for for these kinds of landings, but it was necessary in order to make this polar landing. So there was a good deal of tension as to, you know, how successful would this be? Was the thing going to land? And it has landed. And now Phoenix is going to be looking at polar ice on Mars. We're going to. Uh, Hopefully, if it landed in the right place, for the first time, be able to actually see what uh, what the contents of Martian water is, and whether that gives us any evidence one way or another as to present or probably more likely 
ancient life on the planet. That's very neat, very neat. Uh, and the ice at the poles uh, on Mars, uh, that is water ice? Or is it, it something is, else? Yes. Water well, ice. Yeah. Yeah, there there was a time back in the day when there was speculation was that was that water or was that dry ice was that frozen CO2 but there and there may be some frozen CO2 around on the surface of the planet but there definitely is has been confirmed there definitely is H2O uh, in in uh, in ice form on the surface of Mars uh, around the poles so hopefully that's what it's landed near some of that well that's very important to uh, any, any potential human mission to Mars isn't it that there is water available. Very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, if 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 that water can be used, uh, if you can if you can land a spaceship near it, and if you can access it, you know, thaw it out, um, yeah, then then you have the uh, depending on what the nature of the mission is. Um, once you're talking about a manned mission to Mars, you you, you have the potential to um, drink the water, right? To, to uh, and, and thus not have to carry all that water to the planet. But if you're looking at doing things like more ambitious plans like raising food there, then you've got water that you, potentially you can grow food with, et cetera. So, yeah, water on Mars is a is a big deal for us. Oxygen, it's an oxygen source. It's an energy source, uh, the hydrogen. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 the big, uh, it's the big thing that would make actually living there possible. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah. This is a big deal, and and it's the thing that'll probably give us the best clue yet as to whether there's any life there or whether there has been any life there, because uh, they can, you know, if they can thaw out a few drops of uh, Martian water, and if you got frozen amoebas in there, wow, that'll be pretty exciting. Um, on the other hand, uh, there might just be chemical composition in the water that would indicate that there has been life, or that there there may currently be life. So uh, it's it's very exciting uh, moment here for NASA, and we're looking forward to hearing a lot more about the Phoenix. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's get into time travel a little bit, Phil. That's uh, That was our stated mission uh, for, with, for this show, is to talk a little bit about time travel. We are and all about the time travel tonight. I tell you what, before we... Before we uh, before we delve in, let me just say that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Stephen Gordon and Phil Bowermaster talking now about time travel. If you've got some thoughts uh, would like to share with us, give us a call at 347-215-8972 or join us in the chat room. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. All right. Well, a scientist uh, who's, a, who's a physicist uh, by the name of – is it Ronald Millet or Millet or uh, – I've been reading it mallet, but that's probably too easy. I've... It might be as simple as mallet. We'll go with that. Um, he is uh, one of several, apparently, physicists that are coming out of the closet on the whole issue of whether you know it's possible to construct some kind of time machine. And uh, his motivation is almost as interesting as the possibility of time travel. Um, Absolutely. So you, yeah, I mean, you want to get into that a little bit? I mean... Um, is yeah, the, it's it's it, yeah. It would make a great story if you were writing a science fiction story about somebody who wanted to build a time machine. This would be the kind of motivation that that you might give a character. And basically, uh, as a uh, I think a child or a young man, um, uh, Doctor Mallet lost his father to a heart attack. Was sent into depression. Uh, because of that loss, and I, I, it seems to me I've read elsewhere he also lost his mother. I think he's lost both of his parents, um, and um, 
came upon the idea of and became kind of obsessed with the idea of building a time machine, um, which which was his way of dealing with his grief. Uh, it was it was his hope as a as a young person that uh, well I'll build a time machine and I'll go back and you know see my dad again or fix things or you know whatever the uh, uh, whatever the thinking was in the in the young mind that actually inspired him to go on become a physicist and now uh, you know become really probably the leading voice in those who are coming forward and saying yes there is something to this uh, time travel might actually be something that that we can achieve and. It, it's interesting that he's not getting a lot of uh, people that are coming out and saying, you know, time travel is absolutely impossible. Apparently, from what we understand, uh, most physicists will say that, you know, it's 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 a possibility. There's nothing uh, in what we understand and know now that would prohibit it. And, um, and Stephen Hawking is is actually excited uh, is excited about the possibility. Of, of or, or, or the study of it, uh, and he, he thinks that it would be as important to learn why it's not possible um, as it would be to learn that it is possible. So by studying it, we can either eliminate it as a possibility, and then that would, and by doing so, understand the universe to a greater extent, or we'd learn how to do it. And either way, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, either way, it is. It is very interesting. Um, the, the thing about Hawking is he, he has uh, made statements that both sound like he is accepting the possibility of time travel and the statements that sound like he's completely rejecting it. So he, he's uh, uh, he's been a little bit enigmatic on on this particular subject as he uh, as he is on some subjects. Um, but you're right when you say that um, it's not specifically mathematically excluded by the laws of physics, at least by by um, the way most scientists understand uh, general relativity, special relativity, um, even some of the more exotic, uh, you know, string theory and some of the other formulations of how the universe works. Time travel is, um, there's, there's nothing that says this can't happen. Now there are huge barriers. You know that's that's not to say that there there aren't there aren't big barriers. And and let's talk um, let's let's divvy the topic of time travel up because there 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 are um, actually um, more hopeful and less hopeful areas of, uh, of, of 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 or possible ways of traveling through time. And I think the one that probably gets people's attention the quickest is if you think about traveling into the past. Um, Time travel into the past is, again, not excluded by the laws of physics, but it would take um, uh, as far as... as It'd have to be an exotic time. solution, wouldn't it? It would take uh, an exotic solution. Thank you. That's, the, that, that's what I was struggling to... That was the phrase I was struggling for. For example, one, one example is that if you travel faster than light then there are certain frames of reference from which you will appear to be uh, moving backward through time. Okay, so, right. so so that one's like okay. So if you want to if you want to uh, go back in time, all you got to do is go faster than light. It's kind of like the old Steve Martin: you can be a millionaire and never pay income tax, right? Yeah. First, 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 first get a million dollars. dollars. <laughs> yeah, get a million dollars. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, that first step is a doozy. Okay, uh, going faster than light is um, not something that we have any clear idea uh, how we could ever do it. Um, 
that is something that seems to be, if not absolutely prohibited, um, uh, almost absolutely prohibited. Put it that way. Uh, it, you would you would need if you were going to do it, say, with a rocket. Okay, just a regular rocket. You're not warp drive or any fun stuff like that. It would actually take, um, I think, infinite energy to move any mass to the speed of light. And since that seems like more energy than any of us is likely to have access to, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to travel back through time. Um, but but then there there are other possibilities, and and Mallet talks about these that, that there are exotic structures, there are um, wormholes, there there's the fact that um, any massive object actually warps, actually changes the fabric of space time, and and his research is around uh, using energy to replicate the effect that that mass has on space time, uh, and he uses high energy lasers, doesn't he? And, yeah, exactly. Uh, He's working on a tabletop experiment where he uh, uses lasers um, to warp uh, space the same way uh, um, the same way a, a massive object warps space. And uh, his his idea is to warp it enough to where you warp it all the way back around and basically have space where you could send particles in sort of a in a sort of a time loop. Um, and uh, it's, that's, that's an interesting thing. Uh, the uh, several physicists have looked at this. Uh, said, "You, yeah, we think it would work, but you need uh, you would need something uh, that would uh, your experiment would need to have the radius of the universe uh, in order to have, uh, you would you would need a, a right. loop." You're back there. To, you need infinite en- energy or the radius of the universe. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. <laughs> Yeah, apparently so. But he's going to give it a shot. And uh, you know what? What I love about his uh, his you know the whole deal is his, his coming out of the closet about it. I think so much science is advanced when uh, when scientists are uh, they they leave their fear of uh, of being labeled as crazy behind them. You have people like Aubrey de Grey that come out about life extension, and and then all these you know. Um, there's so many areas like, uh, for example, uh, nanotech and things like that where the ideas sounded crazy just a few years ago, and now they're becoming mainstream science. And uh, and so, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Absolutely right. I mean, when Kurt Dr. Millett, uh, we, appreci- we appreciate your uh, courage not to, not to, you know, not to give up, uh, you know, trying these things uh, for fear of being labeled crazy. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, the cra- just, it's, it's the crazy guys that, that make it happen, as far as I'm concerned. The, the crazy guys make make things happen, absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the things I've read uh, by him is that um, one of the kind of unfortunate limitations to time travel as he conceives it, and he does think, uh, he, he expects eventually to build a time machine that will work. Um, and, and by a time machine that will work, I mean a, a device that can actually send a human being back in time. That, that would be the, the, the kind of working definition from, from his reference. You know, well, that's, that's a long way from par- sending particles back a fraction of a second. Uh, to which is, yeah, which is what he's trying to do now, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a, there's a huge step from there to sending a human being back in time to see your dad or something. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Well, that, and, in fact, you you just caught the uh, with 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 your qualifier there. You just caught the uh, the, the rub, because uh, even Mallet says that um, the, the the trouble with the time machine once it's built is it won't be able to go back in time any further than the day it was built. Well, that's so, interesting. 
so um, he doesn't foresee any means of building a time machine that would enable him to go back and see his father. He has uh, he, he has abandoned that idea, um, although he continues to pursue time travel as his passion. But, well, you know, uh, that would explain why we're not getting uh, visitors from the future. Um, if exactly time, right. even if we don't have a time machine yet. We don't have a time machine yet. Maybe the day we invent a time machine, all of a sudden we'll have visitors from the future all of a sudden. Uh, that would be right. interesting. Because then they can show up. Yeah. Until there's a time machine, no one can travel back to here um, to, to, to get to it. So, uh, you know, it's one of those weird, you know, it can almost make your head hurt a little bit uh, thinking about it. But that could, that could very well be the reason that we don't experience um, time travel. That, that well, we, you know, I, I've never often... Met a time traveler. I, the, whole, the whole issue of time travel, I, I came across this little uh, idea when I, you know, the, here, here I was as a 12-year-old thinking about time travel. Okay, this is this is a kid's idea of a problem that might come up for time travelers. The Earth moves through space at a very fast rate, right? So if I travel yeah. back and if, so, let's say I'm 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 here now in this place where the, the, in this spot where the Earth is right now, and I travel back in time, I'm in outer space because the Earth is somewhere else. Um, I mean, you'd have to. Oh, that's a good point. You'd have to track the movement of the Earth as well as as as, as time. You know, I mean, anyway, I don't know. That that might be a bit of a problem for potential time travelers as well. Well, you got to think about that. But I I don't know. Would would you still be gravitationally in place? You think about. Did you ever see the movie Time After Time? Luckily, we have movies to explain how all these things work for us. But, yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. In, in yes, that I did, and I, I love that movie. Yeah, H.G. Wells invents a time machine. He goes into the future, and while he's uh, traveling into the future, um, his mock-up replica time machine that he built makes its way from London to San Francisco. So when he arrives in the future, he's in San Francisco because the, the machine has been moved from one location to the other. So it's kind of in line with... Uh, with what you were talking about, um, yeah. he, he he didn't end up, he didn't end up uh, uh, where he started. Uh, you know, he would have expected to uh, to arrive in London in the future, and instead he, he he ended up in San Francisco in the future because the time machine had been moved while he was in it, uh, traveling to the future. Interesting, but interesting, but but at least at least he didn't end up where London was out in space. You know, <laughs> fifty years or you know a hundred years ago or something like that. He, yeah, he would have really right. been hosed. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We haven't even gotten into the grandfather paradox and all the other problems uh, that, like meeting yourself in the future or in the past or something like that. You know. Well, very... I know, before before we talk paradox, I have a question for you. Okay. Why travel back in time? What are the practical, re- you know, because we've we've praised Mallet now for working on this, but what good does it do to travel back through time? What what would the benefits be of traveling back through time? Can can, can you think of any? Um, I don't know. Uh, go back in time and uh, and place a bet on something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know. I, well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Personal for historical, uh, you know, yeah. get a you get a real historical uh, view of things. You know, I mean, you could uh, go back and see major events in our in our history and uh, understand history in ways that uh, you know historians would and archaeologists can only dream about. Um, I guess that would be one reason to travel back in time. But I mean, I think that's a good one. Yeah. But um, I, I guess that's about it. 
you know, uh, uh, meeting your uh, your ancestors or whatever. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think I think if the if the goal is to go back and get information on the past, then that's worthwhile. Um, I, I think that a lot of times, and certainly good fiction about time travel, uh, the, the the premise is you're going to go back and change something. And yeah. as soon as you as, as soon as you get that idea, well, I'm going to go back in time, and um, effectively, if, if if you go back in time and uh, even place the bets, right, or make the investments, you have you have changed something. Also, you'll be rich, right, when you when you when you get back to the future because you made those you made those really smart uh, bets back in the back in the past. But right. um, but but that's the that's kind of the that's kind of the driving. Uh, narrative for time travel. If you're going to tell a time travel story, it's got to be about doing something different. You're going to go back and change the way things were. There was a there was a great spoof of actually of how Wikipedia editing works that that made the rounds a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it and it had to do with uh they weren't running Wikipedia. They were running this time travel organization and uh, everybody who joined is like the first day they'd always go back in time and kill Hitler. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then somebody else would have to step in and explain why it doesn't work to go back and kill Hitler, and we're not allowed to do that, and don't go back and kill Hitler. Um, but um, but that's that you know that's the other that's the other big uh, uh, the, the big motivator, right? I, yeah, go back in time, kill Hitler, you stop World War II from happening, or uh, you know go back in time and settle some score. or uh, you know, keep some bad thing, or you know, undo some stupid mistake that you made in the past. Or there was a movie. Uh, speaking of movies uh, that that solve everything, uh, you remember the movie where they uh, they were they went back in time and they had the opportunity to uh, uh, keep Pearl Harbor from happening, and then they decided the final countdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was sort of a letdown. I mean, the whole movie was well, we could stop it, and but then they don't. So it's a movie about doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, there 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 is one great uh, uh, scene where the uh, were they F-15s? Is that yeah. right? Off an aircraft carrier? Yeah, F-15s are uh, just trying to fly slow enough to stay behind those Japanese zeros. Right? I, just, <laughs> I love that scene. They're just like, about you know, to stall out. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and there is, the, and there is the, the couple of, a couple of uh, the Japanese planes do get shot down because I remember there's that line, splash the zeros, and it's just like boom, and they're down. You know, I mean, there was just yeah, one aircraft carrier from, uh, from what was that, late seventies? Oh yeah, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, it would have. And we'd have had a real shot at winning the Battle of Pearl Harbor, right? I, mean, I think <laughs> that's we right. probably would have. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah, it's a, it's a great premise, and and nothing happens because they they don't want to. You, you you don't want to uh, do what you were talking about, which is um, mess with time, mess with the line of time, uh, create some kind of a paradox. Let's 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 get into the paradoxes. But before we do, let me say that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. If you've got a favorite time travel paradox you'd like to share, give us a call at three four seven two one five eight nine seven two. Now, why don't you step us through the classic time travel paradox? What would that be? Okay, I have a, I have myself a time machine, and I want to go meet my ancestors, okay? So I get in my time machine, I go back 100 years, and I meet my great-grandfather or whomever. And we're walking along together, and uh, and uh, I don't know how, maybe I've got a weapon with me, and it accidentally goes off, and my grandfather is killed. Then there's this paradox. How am I ever born to go back in time to accidentally kill my grandfather uh, in the first place? I mean, so... 
and does the universe explode from the, you know, uh, does it end the universe? Does it create some problem? Uh, yeah, does uh, it end the universe? Does it just end you? You know, I mean, is it just that? Um, there's, uh, well, it, it seems to me that it's bigger than me because uh, if I've created some sort of problem, some sort of loop that the universe can't get out of, it's like uh, it's like a it's like a record that's stuck in a groove, you know. Uh, right, because yeah, because let's follow through the logic. Okay, so you kill your great grandfather, therefore uh, your grandfather's never born, therefore your father's never born, therefore you're never born, uh, therefore there. you could not have come back and killed your great grandfather. Yeah, he was nevertheless <laughs> dead right there. In front. It's like you know Schrodinger's cat or something, but you know, but there's no there's no way of resolving it, and so um, that that's the problem, and and of course. Uh, when it comes to time travel, then you know the the uh, the Bible for time travel is, of course, the Back to the Future movies. The Back to the Future films, absolutely. And I believe we have a clip that discusses uh, a different kind of a paradox, actually. You mean I'm going to see where I live? I'm going to see myself as an old man? No, 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 Marty. That could result in it. Oh, great Scott! Jennifer could conceivably entire her future self. The consequences of that could be disastrous. Doc, what do you mean? I foresee two possibilities. One, coming face to face with herself 30 years older would put her into shock and she'd simply pass out. Or two, the encounter could create a time paradox, the result of which could cause a chain reaction that would unravel the very fabric of the space-time continuum and destroy the entire universe. Granted, that's a worst-case scenario. The destruction might, in fact, be very localized, limited to merely our own galaxy. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's a relief. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> it's, it's just a galaxy that gets lost. Christopher Lloyd is so great as that character, isn't he? I just he owns he character. owns that series of movies. It seemed like the first movie was really revolved around uh, Marty, but by the end of the series, you realize that Doc Brown is the hero of the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, absolutely. It's really all about him, the scientist who invents time travel. Absolutely. So there's the, there's the paradox. Let's unravel that one a little bit. Now, what's happening? So so Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. Yeah, they've gone to the future, then, not the past. This time it's the future. And they've moved the, into the future. Yeah, and the risk is that uh, Jennifer is about to encounter old Jennifer. So that, you know, you know, that, uh, you know and, and, and it's less of a paradox problem. It's not the grandfather paradox where you accidentally kill yourself. But it sort of is. It sort of is because here's the loop, the possibility of a loop. You meet yourself in the future because you you, you get in your time machine, you go forward, and you meet you meet old Phil, and right. I and I meet old Stephen, and at the same at and right before you meet yourself, you have no memory of having met yourself before. Okay. Right. And so when you but when you meet yourself, all of a sudden you have a memory of meeting yourself, and then. In, in the future, the old Stephen all of a sudden has all all these memories that, and 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 could cause a probably a mental loop, you know. I, and but it would seem to me that that problem would be uh, localized to just that person, you know what I'm saying? And in the Back to the Future movies, uh, it, it, that's exactly what happened. They did meet each other. They both passed out. Right. <laughs> From the shock they just of couldn't deal with it. Yeah, they just couldn't deal with it and uh they both so they both pass out and then, you know, the universe does not end. So Well and, what's what's interesting to me about that is that um yeah, it seems to me that that paradox is not as dangerous as the grandfather paradox. And right. and the grandfather paradox uh, makes certain assumptions about how time works and 
the we'll call it the Jennifer paradox, make certain assumptions about how time travel works. Right. Uh, neither of which necessarily have to be true. The, the, the grandfather paradox is going to assume that um, there is one timeline right. and there is one universe, and if you mess with the integrity of that, bad things can happen. That's right. Uh, and, and obviously the uh, Back to the Future movies, it, it, it's sort of funny because the, Back to the, the original Back to the Future movie acted as though there was one timeline. If you mess with it, you're going to remove yourself from existence. You remember the picture where they were slowly fading from existence? Because sure. he had yeah. he had messed something up. Well, then then Back to the Future two and three, he goes back in time and messes something up, and it just make, it just creates a new timeline rather than you know uh, uh, create rather than there being a grandfather paradox, Biff becomes the ruler of the town or whatever, and right. uh, and so you just created a new timeline instead of uh, instead of removing yourself from existence. So it was, there's a little inconsistencies in those movies, but Hey, they were, they were more about having fun than anything else, I think. Well, I think I think they de- they definitely were. Although although in the end, it was all about one consistent timeline. It seems like they had to get rid of that uh, that that extra timeline. Certainly, the idea that you can just go spinning off infinite numbers of new timelines was not something was not an idea that would have sat well with Doc Brown or with the the the, the Back to the Future universe generally. You know, it was like this this is. Because otherwise, it's like, well, okay, so the whole Biff thing only happened in a parallel universe. We'll just go back to the one that I came from, right? That didn't seem to be an option, right? It, it, it seemed yeah. like uh, it seemed like somehow we were still stuck with with all that stuff happening, and, and and we have to do something to correct it. As opposed to the idea that if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, all you've really done is you've moved into a, a, a separate parallel universe. That yeah. uh, you, you know, you'd still be there, um, you're, and in the and in the universe you're in now. Um, you would never be born, but that wouldn't preclude the fact that in the universe you came from, which would now be a completely separate place, you showed up and, and killed your great grandfather. And I think the um, well, even the final at the very end of uh, of those movies, okay, the very last scene of Back to the Future Three, he shows up back in his 1985, right, mm-hmm. and um, and he crosses that ravine where they had put the bridge there and there was a sign there and what did the sign say about the ravine it was eastwood ravine eastwood ravine named after uh martin named, named after martin going by the name clint eastwood back in the, in the west right <laughs> that's right so even even the at the very end where he had uh fixed everything just about there was there were still some things that had had uh you know that he had done that would had forever changed the timeline even in small ways Right. Yeah. So, and I don't know if there's a point to, there. It's just uh, entertainment, but I mean, yeah. well, it's a, they're fun movies. I I, I love yeah. I love those movies. Um, oh yeah. I, I think I think the, um, the the thing that's interesting about the Jennifer paradox, if we talk about that one for a minute, is yeah. that it assumes that time travel works in such a way that. Um, um, there's an assumption. Okay, that that Jennifer must have gotten back from the future, back to 1985, and grown up to become the old Jennifer. Right. <laughs> okay. Where, whereas, really, 
had, yeah, had, she, had she gone forward in time and then showed up, they just she might have arrived in a future where they said, you know, I wonder what happened to that girl I went out with. You know, uh, she, right. she disappeared back in 1985, and we hadn't seen her right. since. Yeah. Well, look, here, here we are 30 years later, and here's a young woman who looks remarkably like her. It can't be her because she would be, an, you know, a middle-aged woman by now. But, that, but that's actually what traveling into the future would, would, would bring, absent also traveling back into the past. And that, and that gets me to my, uh, my final answer to the uh, what's the practical uh, application of traveling back through time. Well, the big useful thing that you can do with traveling back through time is – you can get back if you've traveled into the future. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if, if if you've moved into the future, then then traveling back through time will uh, will allow you to come back into the present. Because actually, the the truth is, um, traveling into the future is not uh, not only not uh, precluded. It, it's it's something that scientists acknowledge we could do. Um, there there are ways that that we could travel in the future. It would still take by our by our current technological development level, fairly exotic solutions. But you can travel to the future by traveling very fast. If you travel uh, fast enough, you experience something under, uh, I think it's general relativity, called time dilation, which means that um, time will start traveling, uh, uh, passing more slowly for you than it is for the people who aren't moving at that speed, such that um, you might be traveling through space for a year or so, uh, and you come back to Earth, and hundreds of years may have passed. You have traveled into the future. Um, the, the with with no hope of uh, getting back, though. Well, without without some technology for moving backwards in time, it's a one-way trip. That's, yeah, that's the that's the thing about uh, that's the thing about traveling into the future. It's a it it, uh, it can happen, but it's a one-way trip. I think the other way it can happen is um, uh, very massive objects. Just just it, it's interesting that both. Traveling into the future and traveling into the past have to do with the same um, uh, the, the same basic premises. You travel really fast and you travel into the future. You travel fast enough and suddenly you go back into the past. Uh, massive objects um, can can actually warp space time in such a way that you that you can experience uh, that time dilation even without moving fast. So you could, uh, uh, for example, go hang out on the uh, periphery of a black hole, not go in and get yourself crushed, but just be near it. And the proximity to that big massive object would actually put you into time dilation. And uh, essentially the same thing that we just talked about happening if you travel near light speed would happen uh, by, by being near the being near the black hole, and you would experience time differently than people, and you would take that one-way trip into the future through doing that. Yeah. As opposed to moving into the black hole, if there's a wormhole in there and then maybe somehow being shot back through time, which is one of the other possible ways of getting, uh, of going backwards in time. Well, I'll tell you, uh, going backwards in time is an important thing to, you asked me earlier, what's, what would be so cool about uh, the technology of going back in time? Well, here's, here's the big deal. The technology to send you backwards in time is the same as the technology to travel faster than light. I, I, I submit it's the same technology. And, okay. You know, because... In order to do either, you, you, it, it appears that you would need to have some uh, some sort of warping of space and and uh, some sort of passage between this place in space and that place in space. If you can do uh, if you can do it to travel backwards in time, you could do it to get from here to some star system far, far away. And so you 
you know, if we if we're able to if we're able to get time travel backwards uh, in time, I think that you know, faster than light travel comes along as a bonus. You know, and and this is the thing that never gets mentioned in Star Wars or Star Trek or uh, you know, name, name your uh, name your favorite space opera where people habitually travel faster than light. Um, somehow, that traveling faster than light should be perceived from some references as them moving back through time. But no, no one ever has to deal with any problems around that. Uh, uh, some, somehow in uh, the Star Trek universe, they've learned how to warp space in such a way that you get to go faster than light light but time doesn't get messed up right that's the... right i think even in the even in the uh like in star trek 4 where they go back in time to uh, do the humpback wells or whatever you know they said uh do the calculations for time warping as if that somehow somehow would be different from the you know normal warp drive or whatever and uh anyway right <laughs> yeah i think that uh, traveling backwards in time and tra- and and faster than light are bu- are very difficult problems and they're really the same problem and, I, th- I think uh, they, they they probably are two sides of the two sides of the same coin, and they and they may not be possible. They, we, yeah, we could quite, find we, quite likely that it's not possible. But hey, you know, we we could find, for example, that it's the um, uh, anthropic pro- principle in action that um, time travel may be excluded because uh, it would create uh, maybe not the paradoxes, but so much confusion that. Life couldn't exist. I don't know if things could move randomly back and forth. Certainly, it needs to be hard uh, if you're going to have it at all. It needs it needs to be something that doesn't happen all the time. You wouldn't want to just start accidentally moving backwards through time, or, or have that <laughs> have that be something that just randomly happens in the universe. That would be that would be very strange. Well, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're coming up on our final segment here, and. Uh, if you'd like to talk about time travel with us, you can reach us at 347-215-8972. Our now, live audience may – we okay. need to apologize to our live audience for what happened last week. And, uh, well, we uh, certainly do. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the uh, archive for last week's show sounds great. There's no problem. And when we were – Phil and I were talking with our guests, um, we had a, a three-guest panel. So it was five of us total on the line. When we were talking to each other, we heard each other fine, and the archive yep. sounds fine. But apparently our live listeners couldn't hear at all. And uh, anyway, uh, it's, it was some, uh, some issue with our host, I'm sure. Uh, and so for those who tried to hang in there, thank you, and we hope that you've listened to the program since then. And have enjoyed yeah, it. We, we, we appreciate our listeners uh, hanging in. And, and, and in fact, apparently several of them, uh, in, in the chat room, hung on right through the end of the show, even though they couldn't hear what was going on. So we, we've just uh, we, we've we got real troopers for listeners. We really appreciate that. Um, now I was gonna I was gonna mention a different movie, and I wonder if you've ever seen a movie called Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, this is came out a little bit after uh, Back to the Future, and it. Um, you know, kind of a ripoff on Back to the Future, but it did something profoundly different from Back to the Future. Uh, and, and I was thinking about this um, philosophically, uh, probably not in any other way, but philosophically, I think I like Peggy Sue Got Married better than I like Back to the Future. And I'll tell you why. Um, in Back to the Future, the basic, and I'm talking just about the first movie, because okay. it gets okay. pretty complicated as you were saying. <laughs> Yeah. Once you start going into the old west, and Biff builds the you know casino 
in honor of himself and all that stuff. It's great. But let's just compare those two movies. Okay, the first one and Peggy Sue. Yeah. In Back to the Future, um, Marty makes everything right in his parents' life by going back in time and having this influence on him and, and helping his dad to make decisions better. And suddenly he comes back to a present that is that is much improved because he's gone back and changed the past. Um, and, With the so power of his own coolness. <laughs> the power of his coolness. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the ultimate teenage fantasy. I'll go back in time and straighten my parents out. Exactly. I will go back in time and, with the power of my coolness, straighten my parents out and thus improve my life in the, in the I'm, present. I'm age. sure your daughter has has thought this a million times, Phil. But yeah. she, if only she could. Yeah, she would. Uh, she would be all over that. She'd be in the DeLorean. Uh, yeah, in a New York. In a event. heartbeat. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But um, contrast that with. Peggy Sue Got Married. What happens okay. in the end? And spoilers here, folks, okay? So go see Peggy Sue Got Married if you haven't, but I'm about to tell the end, okay? In Peggy Sue Got Married, she has the option of going back. She goes back and observes all these things that, that happen. She has the option of changing her life uh, in lots of different ways. She can not marry this guy, et cetera, et cetera. She can, you know, be a different person. She, she has all these choices. And in the end, she sees these pictures of her children, and she realizes, oh, no, I have to have the life I have because I value the life I have, and yeah, I don't even, want to even with the, Yeah, even with the all these, uh, even with all the problems that I have in my future, including the potential of a divorce and all these other things, she still wants to keep the the life she has. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think philosophically, that's where I am with that's where I am with time travel because. What Marty needed to do in a world without time travel, let's just say Doc had, you know, stayed with his mind-reading research rather than uh, you know, <laughs> moving on to time travel. I love you that know? scene. I love that scene where he puts I, I that plunger too. on his head. <laughs> I, I thought about us having that this sound. This damn thing doesn't work at all. Yeah, I love that. That is so funny. Um, uh, if, 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 there was no option of going back to the uh, to the past to change his you know his situation maybe he could have in the present had that kind of influence on his dad and maybe there could have been some realization that you know y- your whole life isn't a waste and you can make decisions now and you can change things now and we still have the option of moving towards a better future even if uh, even if there's nothing that we can do about our past which is actually the situation that we're all really in right yeah so, so granted, it's not as much fun as a teenage fantasy, but the idea that yeah, I, I'd like to go back and look at the past. That's what a good that's a good thing that uh, traveling back into the past would be for. But I don't want to change anything because I value what my life is now, and I recognize the fact that whether I go back and change the past or not, the future is still something that I can change. It's still it, it's still something that I can. Uh, that I can make different if if I need to make it different. And that's what I call, uh, and I've not trademarked this or anything, but that's what I call practical time travel. And it's not um, moving any faster into the future than, uh, th- than than we were going to anyway, but it's moving into a future that we've picked. And it's right. moving it, it's moving into, uh, you know, the future that, that we want. And, and that, I think, is... Uh, you know, not as exciting, but as as profound an idea as even traveling back into the past. Well, and and it's also 
it's an important realization to and 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 a grown-up realization to make that you know to a large extent we we are responsible for the lives that we have because of the decisions we've already made that's and, right. uh, and 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 we are presently responsible for the lives that we will have in the future and so yeah i mean it's uh i, I see exactly where you're going with that and i think it's and it's, and it's a wise and good point so yeah absolutely wow wise and good yeah <laughs> exactly i might we might just shut it down after tonight. I think that's <laughs> that's, yeah, it's not going to get any better than that, folks. Uh, that's that's about as good <laughs> as, as we can. Yeah, that's right. If can, I've hit wise and good in the same night, I think we're pretty much done. <laughs> well, but but I, should, I really think that's oh, – go yeah. ahead. What were you gonna maybe I, uh, you want me to drop wise or good? We can go with just one or the other. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep pushing. Okay. I, I could be wise and good and uh, – I was listening to that interview we did with uh, James Hughes a while back, and when we talked about how he in in, in uh, what's it called, uh, Change Surfer Radio, how how he he's got sexy in his tagline, and yeah. uh, that we didn't figure we could pull that one off. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got wise and good. I'll work towards sexy. Okay, I still got something. Like, you know. Yeah, I, I, and I've been working out, so you know maybe. But exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so well, we still whatever. got stuff we could shoot for, even if, even if we've achieved wisdom and goodness uh, by <laughs> our own reckoning. Uh, I think you know, <laughs> there are, there are still things we can uh, we can we work, can work on, towards. Yes. But I was gonna say that's really what uh, a, a big piece of what what the speculus is all about. It's all about these these possible futures that we're looking at. We're looking at. Um, you know, great stuff that that could happen, and that we want to make happen. That we want to that we want to choose those futures, and uh, that was what inspired me to link to the article from MIT News called "Hope on the Horizon." Did you get a chance to look at that? Oh yeah, a great article. Um, all our listeners, you got to get out and, re- and read this thing. Um, I think we ought to go through it uh, step by step, Phil, because everything that they talk about is stuff that is important and interesting. So, yeah. Well, uh, let me just let me let me set the stage for this. So, okay. So the uh, the um, the the title was "Hope on the Horizon." The subtitle: MIT researchers point to potential economy-boosting technologies. Now, what's what's important about this is um, that all the good news you're about to hear is really just uh, limited to one area. It's just limited to oh, well, these are the technologies that are actually going to help improve the economy. If we were to look at all the new technologies that are in development that can bring about changes. This is just a tiny little subset, not only because um, of the particular subject matter, but just because uh, the particular brilliant MIT people who happen to be on hand to answer the question are not everybody who's working on uh, potential technologies that are going to boost the economy. So, so having limited it both of those ways, now let's talk about what what some of these actually are. And I'll start with the first one, and that's bioengineering. Um, this is uh, tremendously important for uh, the, the future of, uh, well, virtually just about everything. Yeah. Food production is, you know, fuel production. There, there, there's, there's a number of things that... Um, that, that biotechnology, uh, medicine, that that it uh, that that it impacts, but from a standpoint of hitting the economy, absolutely, um, f- food production. Yeah. Um, it, it also stands to yeah. But, 
I'm sorry, I get excited about this. And bio, bioengineering can, can do so much for us that it's, it's hard to characterize it, and I'm, I'm aware of the time, so I know we want to hit all these. But well, uh, Phil, I, I don't think we should be worried about the time constraints. I, I think we, uh, we ought to just hit all of these and, uh, and, and you, know, time, you know, just take the time we need to, because this is just time too be cool. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. We, go ahead. We're the masters of time tonight. So, <laughs> That's right. So for one thing, okay, you can design biological organisms that uh, that will uh, make it possible to make food grow in places that it won't. You can make food more nutritious than it is. All, all of these um, all of these have tremendous economic benefits. You can you can make food uh, that doesn't have the same kinds of uh, damaging on the environment. And if you if you go beyond food, we've been talking about the algae economy on the blog. Bioengineering is a huge piece of that, uh, d developing strains of algae or of other plants that might actually provide the fuel that we need to, to, to power our economy. Right. Um, I was just reading Freeman Dyson's um, uh, article on global warming, and uh, one of the ideas he talks about in there is the bioengineered tree. Uh, you know, he says that, that biotechnology, probably more than anything else, uh, is the big is the big hope for for dealing with much carbon in the atmosphere because we can we can just we can develop carbon eating trees that will solve the problem, and, and that's a few years down the road. But but that's probably the quickest and easiest way to get to a uh, to a non economically damaging solution to the problem of global warming. So bio bioengineering is a huge one, and I'll. Let's well, I, I want to just throw this out real quick on algae. Uh, why would algae be better? Uh, let's say I, I can use algae to produce diesel fuel, all the diesel fuel the world needs, you know, indefinitely. Why is that a better solution than, uh, than pumping uh, crude out of the ground and making that into diesel? Because uh, it would be carbon neutral. Um, when, you, when you have algae um, and you get diesel from it or gasoline or jet fuel, all of which is possible according to the the research that they've got now, you just have used different algae strains for different sorts of fuel. They they have to absorb CO2 in order to make the fuel. And so uh, you're absorbing the CO2 in the creation of the fuel, and then the fuel releases the CO2 just like normal diesel does. But you're not pumping it out of the ground and releasing it into the uh, atmosphere. You're taking it out of the atmosphere and releasing it back to the atmosphere. It's basically carbon neutral. And so... Um, that's that's another big plus, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, besides the whole uh, issue of running out of oil in the ground, uh, this is uh, that's why algae is is a huge. Uh, growing our own fuel is a huge deal. A huge deal economically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You take the next one. Okay, biosolar cells. Okay, um, we're talking. What we're talking about here is not the silicon cells that um, that you know that are looking better all the time. Uh, but we're talking about actually mimicking plants and their ability to harvest energy from sunlight. And why would you want to do that rather than build a silicon cell? Well, because it appears that plants get a lot more out of sunlight and they, they uh, are able to convert sunlight to energy so much more efficiently than our best silicon solar cells. And, and also, guess what? Plants self-assemble. And so you could, you know, what if we can uh, mimic a plant's ability to self-assemble and then mimic its ability to convert sunlight to energy? That would be a huge breakthrough. So yes, biosolar, biosolar is going to be a big deal. Big one. Digital fabrication is the next one. And now, uh, Neil Gershenfield is the guy who uh, brought this up, and uh, I, I did a uh, did a book review of his uh, about a year ago. 
Uh, he had written Fab, and uh, it's his right. big it's his big baby. I mean, he he he's all over uh, digital fabrication, and the reason he sees, you know, this is a game changer. Well, go ahead and tell why. Yeah, you're you're kind of our resident expert on. Uh, on Fab, since you've uh, you've done interviews with some of the leading luminaries and have written uh, uh, written book reviews on it, and uh, you're kind of our you're, you're kind of my go-to guy on Fab, I gotta say. Stephen. Okay. So, um, well, digital fabrication is not nanotech. I think that there's some confusion with some bloggers. I've read some blogs that they seem to get the two mixed up, like a nano factory mixed up with digital fabrication. We've got digital fabrication right now. We don't have nano factories, and we might not have nano factories for a while, okay, but I mean, right. I there I, I've I've seen advertised here recently a 3D printer that uh, for I think it was a couple thousand dollars, and uh, you just fill it up with uh, cheap raw materials uh, like a I think it was a polymer type powder or whatever. But anyway, uh, and it would it would assemble. You know, you could make a coffee cup or uh, a toothbrush or you know if if you're able to embed electronics in there by also putting in uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, put in a metal as well. Um, you could uh, you could make an AM radio or whatever you wanted to make. You just need to plan on your computer. You could download apparently. You know, once the, once everybody is doing this, uh, you could download it from the internet and then uh, just print it out on your on your home Fab Lab or ra- uh, uh, rapid prototype machine or 3D printer or whatever you want to call it. And, and what we're uh, going to see is is um, digital uh, production of goods, a, a digital revolution in the production of goods, similar to the digital revolution we've seen in the handling of information. It's it's the next step. So so wow. where where all information down to you know movies and and, and audio and print and everything has become uh, digitized. Now we're going to see that same kind of huge change in terms of how. Physical goods are produced along those lines. Can you imagine, for example, uh, how neat it would be to uh, do all your Christmas shopping from home and go to Amazon.com, download, um, and, and information becomes really the only thing of value at that point. You know, um, you, you'd, uh, raw materials would have uh, some value still, but I mean, you'd put the raw materials into your machine, you'd download the plans for, you know, a teddy bear or whatever it is you wanted to uh, print out for your kids. It, it's it's made in the machine, and you you know, and there you go. You put it under the Christmas tree or whatever. That's you know that could be one uh, way that this could go. So that's pretty pretty interesting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Digital fabrication, education. Uh, Eric Klopfer talks about uh, the need to embrace systems that emphasize and enhance. Certain characteristics, uh, creativity, and the ability to solve problems being prime among those. And he talks about using uh, games, media, collaboration, and social networking to improve how students are educated. And I think uh, in addition to everything he points out here, I think MIT is a great place to talk about education because, you know, they have put virtually all of their courseware online for free. So you cannot become – you can't get a degree – you can't get an MIT degree, but you, anybody in the world who has an Internet connection can get an MIT education for free over the Internet. And, you know, think what that must be potentially pumping into the economy just in terms of 
people's ability to access that information and to make good use of that information. It's, it's, it's an astounding uh, thing that they've done in, in making that possible. I actually think it's kind of interesting that he doesn't even mention that. Well, you know, we really have no excuse for ignorance anymore. Right. You know, I mean, uh, if if you're a, if you're a person of average intelligence, there there's not much in the way of information that you can't get within seconds. You know, I mean, if you um, and, and and thanks to Google, thanks thanks now to MIT and Wikipedia and all the you know, and and uh, a host of blogs, including. Uh, we hope the speculus. I mean, Absolutely. you can learn lots and lots and lots of things, uh, and it's 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 no there, again. There's no excuse for being ignorant. You can learn everything. You, everything in the world is at your fingertips now, and so yeah, that's 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 a cool cool thing. Yeah, it, but, yeah. it still is going to, and, and for the foreseeable future, will cost money to become accredited to get right. a degree. But but the knowledge is there, and it's available. Um, in ways that it never has been before. It's really, uh, it's really a very cool time to be somebody who wants to learn something because you've got options that uh, people have never had before in human history in terms of being able to learn. Okay. okay, electrochemical energy. Paula Hammond talked about that. Now, what's that one all about? I, I'm, well, it's I'm a not branch sure of. Following it. Okay, it's a branch of engineering that takes in lots of things, it includes silicon solar cells, advanced batteries, supercapacitors. Uh, all of which are going to be very, very important to, well, among other things, our, our future transportation infrastructure. Um, that's uh, to me. I, I think that uh, the way we're going to be going in the future uh, with with getting around in this country is going to involve plug-in hybrids, and that we're going to need. Uh, we're going to need better battery technology. Um, Solar cells could be an important part of this, and uh, supercapacitors, which you don't hear as much about, could be a very important part of this. And why is that? Because supercapacitors can be charged almost immediately, and they don't have some of the same problems that batteries have, uh, the battery memory problems and things like that. They can be charged a jillion times, and they don't ever wear out, things like that. Um, so, yeah, if, if that's that's that branch of science that deals with that, and she's saying, yeah, that's going to be an important part of our future. There's going to be breakthroughs there, and uh, yeah, I agree with her. There's it's, a, a big enabling technology for a lot of the cool stuff that we're going to be able to uh, to do. If you're interested and, in that kind of thing, you can't go a single day without hearing a breakthrough in in either solar cells, batteries, or supercapacitors. I see it every single day. Something new happening in those fields. So yeah, there's an awful lot going on, and uh, I, I think I think we're we're headed towards probably some major major new developments in uh, in all of those areas. It's, it's really exciting stuff. Now the next one is embedded electronics, and uh, Michael Strano. I'm just going to read this one because I just think uh, it, it's short and it's just very cool. One transformation on the near-term horizon is the embedding of low-cost electronics into almost every object that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. You know. Just to stop for a second, that's happening as as we speak. I mean, you think about how much more electronics there are in your day-to-day -day life now than there were 10 years ago or 10 years before that, right? It's really right. it's 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 amazing to consider it. Um, right, let me just ask. I'm gonna just throw this out right now. Um, when you walk around, uh, just just walking around, do you have a computer on you of some sort at all times now, Phil? Of course, I got my phone. It's yeah. a computer. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it. I'm, I'm never, it's a computer. If, yeah, if nothing else, I've got that with me. Um, and usually when I'm 
at a workplace, I usually have a couple of computers going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I, when when I when I work uh, from my home office, I've got my work laptop and I've got my personal laptop. I've got my phone. Um, uh, then I've got my wife's computer right over here that I use that sometimes too. It, you know, it's it's amazing how how much um, how much of this technology surrounds us and uh, informs our lives. I, you know, we watch TV. We I had downloaded uh, a bunch of episodes of Battlestar Galactica and we were watching them on TV. And it's like I'm I'm, I'm uploading. Uh, information off the internet onto my computer. Then I take the computer over and I hook it to my <laughs> DVD player, and I'm running it through the DVD player onto the onto the TV. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, this is pretty bizarre that uh, <laughs> that, that it's come to this. Uh, and half the time, half the time, I don't even do it that way. I do it with my iPod. I just run the iPod directly into the TV. And it's, it, yeah, it's. I'm sorry, that's a bit of a digression, but yeah, bottom line. Not is, at all. Not at all. It's just an example of how, where we're going. We're just immersed in uh, electronics technology all the time. Yeah, I think that uh, what we're but what we're looking towards is ubiquitous computing, where literally every device that you have, every physical object in your life is smart. Um, right. You know, you know, you don't have car keys anymore. You you know you because there's maybe an RF tag or something on 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 your clothing or something that identifies you as you walk towards your car and it opens the door and cranks the engine for you. You know, I mean, exactly. Uh, your, in my cases, my eyeglasses would probably become a cell phone and, uh, maybe and, and, and internet access at the same time. Um, you know, on and on and on. It's, well, you'll uh, probably have some kind of nano-correction contact lenses anyway. But uh, uh, that's true. Uh, I'm, but, I'm thinking. I'm thinking near term. I'm, my, my, my eyeglasses might be an internet connection in two or three years. Well, in fact, one of the things Strano says is a pair of sunglasses. He uses sunglasses, but it could easily be uh, corrected in, lenses. Any yeah. optical device, yeah, corrected vision may have the ability to project a visual display accessing the internet, have an embedded mm-hmm. cell phone, and actuate other devices as one glances at them. He says the technology already exists. And then he talks about flexible electronic paper and electronic clothing will change the way. Uh, there's your uh, there's your RF tag, right? In the in the, right. in the electronic clothing, change the way information is projected and harnessed at a personal level. Everyday objects may sense, detect, and constantly adjust to our environment, controlling temperature, lighting, noise level, etc. And uh, uh, the other one I'll add because it actually is good for the economy, although people might find it annoying, is that this level of interconnectedness with uh, with electronics w- will mean that we will be marketed to in ways that we can't even begin to imagine right now. We're, yeah. <laughs> well, know, hopefully in ways that will actually be useful. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I would rather, I, you know, I would rather get a marketing me- message for a for a product that I might actually want to buy, rather than just randomly spammed, uh, which it might actually be a useful thing. But anyway, this is Moore's law in game. You know, I mean, this is this is what happens when uh, circuits get smaller and smaller and cheaper and cheaper. That eventually, that just they might actually disappear from sight, but are are present everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our next one is fusion, and we've spoken about fusion so many times uh, on this program. Actually, I. Some of these topics we write about on the blog quite a bit, but fusion is actually one we've talked about quite a bit. Right. Um, what I thought was and, interesting about this was the it, it says you know like we've we've mentioned many times on this show and and elsewhere that fusion is a long term thing, it, and, and once we get it, it'll be you know I mean once you have it, that's 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 wonderful because you'll have 
all the energy you need, basically, right? Exactly. But on our way to getting it, I, this is something I'd never thought about. On our way to getting it, there's going to be uh, some dividends from the research, um, and and one of them was what we can do with plasma fields uh, once once we understand and are able to harness those, and we have and that's something we have to do in order to get to the fusion reactors. And so, I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. What can we do with plasma fields? Uh, they said convert most waste to fuel. Um, Remember wow. the Mr. You remember the Mr. Fusion, Mr. Fusion. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. Instead of, instead of Mr. Fusion, maybe they should call it Mr. Plasma because uh, a device that with uh, with that with with plasma apparently could uh, any 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 waste product you, it would it could be converted to fuel, and so that's that's uh, that would be a pretty neat neat thing. Even if uh, even if fusion is a long way off in the future, maybe we can have that soon, and that'd be cool. So, that'd be very cool. Yeah. Okay, the next one is life extension. and uh, Another topic we've uh, talked know, a lot about. We have talked a lot about this one. To talk about um, how life extension improves the economy. That's interesting because uh, people people always want to give the, the bad side of life extension, how it's uh, going to cause overpopulation and it's going to, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, cheat people out of uh, taking their own place in the world. But, but but the well, and, and a lot of people have the idea that you know you're going to extend uh, feeble life or life that you know in, in, instead of uh, uh, living in the uh, in the nursing home for six months or a year, you you live in the nursing home for forever. Um, no, that's not what life extension is about. Uh, you life extension would be about uh, prolonging um, healthy life because you can't really prolong unhealthy life because being unhealthy is a is is a dangerous way to be and you and and it causes death soon you know it's just the way in fact, it is. that's what our current medical infrastructure is doing yeah that's that's what we're set up to do right now is to prolong unhealthy life for as long as possible and life extension is really almost the opposite of that it's saying uh you know maintaining uh not only not only making people live longer, but making them young longer, making making vital, healthy life go on. Um, you know, working towards what uh, Aubrey de Grey talks about indefinitely. Right. And the, the economic benefit of that actually is that you don't have this notion of people dropping out of the uh, economy. You, you don't have this idea of well, I'm old now and I have to stop working. Instead, you have people moving on to more interesting things. You have these creative, engaged people with a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge uh, continuing to be engaged in the economy and bringing new solutions to problems because they know how to do stuff. And right. they haven't gotten feeble and and had to, you know, go, you know, play shuffleboard or something like that. They, they you know, they, they, they want to continue to be uh, involved in what's happening in the world and are able to do that because they're physically able to do that. I mean, retirement, really, the, the, the idea of it comes uh, from sort of a, well, it's what you do right before you die. I mean, that's originally they had people retire at 65 back when uh, people were expected to live to be about 62, right? Right, right. If you got that. lucky, you lived to be 65 but didn't live much longer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The the idea that uh, people would spend years of leisure as their health slowly failed um, wasn't really what what was designed. But people's lives have gotten longer in the meantime, and, and that sort of happened uh, as a matter of course. But if you if you take that to the next step, you say, no, no, we're going to make life last indefinitely long, and people are going to have indefinitely long 
healthy lives, then that whole model is eliminated. And instead, you have this model where people are uh, productive and they're and and they're they're continuing to make important things happen throughout that entire time that they're with us. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the next one, uh, next one on the list here is mitigating autism, um, and uh, I, 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 this is uh, I'm not sure how that would economically uh, hit us that hard. I mean, uh, apparently now we uh, it's like one in 150 children. Is it something like that? Have some I, I form think that's of what autism? I said, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the big the big the big economic boon here is the incredible cost that's being sunk into dealing with it now. Right. That, right. That that you know, there's almost this, and you know, uh, PJ Manny talked about this. We we when we had her on the program once, she was talking about this almost this epidemic of autism. Um, that you know, putting aside the personal and and psychological and emotional strain of that, you know, it's, it's taken a huge economic toll. Right. So, you know, if we're talking about things that are going to have a big economic benefit, this is one that actually will, because uh, because right now it's taking a huge economic toll for people to have to deal with it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, and I, I'm, you know, I, I think that it, it certainly is um, the the moral and uh, uh, humane thing, obviously, to do. If, if there's something we can do to help these children and these people who are autistic. Uh, absolutely, let's do it. I, I, I was just questioning how big of an economic impact that would have uh, by comparison to some of these other things. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's um, you know, and so it's something that PJ Manny mentioned um, that some of uh, the people that contribute the most, I mean, um, are have have a form of autism. Um, and I, I'm talking Asperger syndrome. Is that, am I pronouncing it right? I think so. Yeah, I'm close. Anyway, um, that's it's it's basically you know uh, uh, people that are, are maybe a bit nerdy, you know, that have some social problems, but uh, are extremely talented when it comes to things like uh, mathematics and science and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I, there are some things that maybe we some forms of autism maybe we don't want to mitigate. Uh, maybe it should be up to the uh, if it's an adult, especially uh, that's that has benefit of perhaps their brain being wired slightly different. Maybe they don't want to change. Um, so maybe it's up to them and, and forms of autism that are like that. But it's, that's, it's an interesting, it, it, it'll be an interesting ethical uh, um, uh, field to it, look it, at. A big conundrum that we're going to have to deal with in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, as, as, as we try to figure this out, and, and that's part of the uh, – Maybe some of, of us will choose to be autistic part of the time, and then you know, and then turn it off when we're ready to have a social life. I don't know. Well, um, I think a lot of us do that. When, I, when, when I'm saying autistic, I'm talking you know, uh, gifted mathematically. I'm not talking locked up like some some uh, these poor children are that they are. Sure, but sh- shut down some of your social interaction skills in favor of uh, other other functioning of the brain. You know, we we might actually see that sort of thing be. Possible with, uh, with 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 technologies that are that, that are that are being developed now, but but I think swinging it back around to economic benefit, um, that's one of the reasons probably that there is a uh, multiplying effect in in helping uh, people who really are debilitated by autism, because they're almost always the really smart people. 
So it's yeah. like, well, if you, can, if you can bring the smart people back into the fold, there's a there's a big economic benefit to that too. Absolutely. That these, are, these, these are people who have an awful lot to have an awful lot to contribute. But you're right. It's it's not a, it's not an easy. Uh, uh, it's like time travel. It's a tough nut to crack. Actually, when you start talking about autism, it's a it's a very complex issue. Um, one that probably deserves more attention than than, than we're able to give it tonight. Okay, the next one is problem solving. And Ed Boyden asks this question, why are we so bad at anticipating, deciding, and acting upon the prevention of problems in the future? One possibility is that we need to use our knowledge of the mind to engineer better information handling tools and software for visualizing, understanding, and figuring out how to fix problems. And we need to understand data and deal with problems at a higher level. Information by itself is not enough. Well, I agree with his conclusion there that information by itself is not enough, but I would actually disagree with his premise. I don't think we're bad at solving problems at all. Um, my, my uh, you know, speculist manifesto is that we're actually, that's what we've evolved to do, is that uh, we're, we're, we're really good at solving yeah. problems. What, what is he comparing us to? Uh, what, what, uh, what entities uh, uh, is he thinking that, you know, <laughs> that humans are not measuring up to? I think he's comparing us to how we should be. I think uh, what what, well, what we've got here is the good is the enemy of the perfect, right? Um, and and it's easy to get into that mindset, but I, you know I think we're darn good at solving problems. Right. In fact, we're too good at solving problems. We're so good at solving problems is we tend to see the world as a problem as opposed to uh, as opposed to recognizing opportunities to. Uh, enhance our situation that don't have anything to do with fixing something that's wrong, but, but then instead have to do with just taking advantage of, uh, of, of good things that are out there for us, for us to get a hold of. But, well, one, but thing we're re- one thing we really are bad at is appreciating how far we've come. And, and, maybe, yeah. and so sometimes we tend to get down on ourselves as a species or as a society or whatever because we don't appreciate how far we've come. And so that's kind of part of what we address here at The Speculus, isn't it? So I, I think maybe uh, the answer to this is we can improve ourselves eventually, and that we're talking about uh, coming up with greater than human intelligence, which is something we talk about a lot, and uh, either through augmenting humans or through artificial general intelligence, uh, and uh, we could become uh, better prob- problem solvers that way. I, uh, he's, he's talking about the singularity, it seems to me. I, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if he's not. I, I think he's he's talking about us solving problems before they become problems. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I, I think his objection is we wait until they get really bad and then we do something about them. But my argument is uh, we're probably that's trying to because, solve something else in, until it gets painful enough that that's the one we have to focus on. You know. That's right. And and, and we we have we have an, uh, enough problems for today. You know. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it would yeah. seem. Yeah, so there's a, there's a little more goodness and wisdom there. Just throw that into the program right there. Oh, yeah, there you go. A little more goodness and wisdom, as as we have decided that we have both qualities, goodness and wisdom. <laughs> That's right. We're self-selecting for that. But anyway, uh, uh, the next thing is robots. Uh, and, you know, robots is one of those things that um, complete science fiction five years ago, just about. Okay? Yep. Now they're everywhere. Um, now uh, they're very simple robots. You know, you got the Roombas that are vacuuming our floors, and uh, you got you got some soldier robots that are really just, um, for the most part, remote control vehicles with guns on them uh, over in Iraq. And uh, you got some unmanned aerial vehicles that are also uh, fighting the war on terror and things like that. But 
these things are coming along very quickly, it seems to me. And, uh, you know, um, what is it, Rosie from the Jetsons? Is that the name of that robot? I think Yeah, she's Rosie. Not, is that her? Uh, she's not, I, I would say she's, uh, she seems a lot closer now than I would have guessed that she would have been, um, you know, just a few years ago. It seems well, like, you know what? Uh, she won't. She won't have. I don't think she'll have rivets showing unless it's uh, a design element. Unless we want them. Yeah, of metal. Yeah. And I don't see why she'd need to wear an apron. But uh, <laughs> the, the the truth is that in Japan right now they're seriously planning on having uh, uh, this overwhelming um, surge in old age in their population curve dealt with. By robots, they they are right. looking to robots to be caregivers for their for their aging population, and they're completely serious about it. And one of the reasons they're one of the drivers behind robots robotic technology right now is they plan to have them. I mean, they plan to have robots in the home helping to take care of people, actually helping to um, maintain a lot of the quality of life type stuff that Rosie would have been responsible for. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and so they're they're pushing it hard, and uh, so I guess uh, uh, in many ways uh, uh, Japan has taken the lead on that. And uh, but we'll, we'll see. This is going to be this going to be interesting. Yeah, well, it, seems like, it, looks, it seems like Rosie's going to be made out of plastic, doesn't it? Yeah, it's I think she'll more be made out of plastic, way. and yeah. probably won't wear an apron. But uh, uh, Brooke says that uh, this is the lead up to a classic hockey stick growth curve. So anything we've seen in robotics uh, in the last few years, just Never mind. It's going to be much bigger in the next five. Much, much bigger. So, well, I, I think we need to uh, we need to stop there, Phil, because our, our our final song is actually a kind of a lengthy one, and so for our for benefit of our audience uh, to be able to hear the entire song, we probably should uh, should cut it off there. That's okay. Well, let me let me just say, sustainable cities. We we did a thing about a, a big building slash. Uh, uh, potentially uh, self-contained city uh, earlier this week. Transcending technology, heck, we talk about that every week on the Specula. So there, I, I dealt with it. <laughs> you finished well. it up. You finished it up. Uh, yeah, you you got us into this mess, and I got us out, Steve. <laughs> no so, doubt. Um, <laughs> so uh, what's the song? Um, the band is Wake of Wake of the Titan, and the song is Good Night, Cold Earth, and it's a little bit dystopic. Uh, but uh, have a listen to it. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll look forward to listening to that. And, uh, Stephen, hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. You too, Uh, Phil. All right. Thanks to all those who listened in with us. We look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus